So this is the part of the service that we're going to open up the Bible. We're going to read a few verses and we're going to see what God wants to do, which is very exciting. I like this new layout. It gives me a lot of space. I don't know if you've ever seen the movie Step Brothers where he says, I've got lots of space for activities. That's what I feel is going to happen. So who knows what that's going to mean? But uh, we are going to be going through, actually finishing up our wee mini-series on Titus. So we've been looking at the book of Titus, and we've been doing that over four weeks just before, squeezing it in before Christmas. And uh, we're going to be looking at Titus 3, 9 to 14 in just a moment. And hopefully, if you've not got a Bible, did somebody go around with Bibles, do we know? No? If nobody's got a Bible, Sarah, could you put your hand up and Sarah will fire a Bible out to you. There might not be anyone, which means Sarah will have three Bibles all to herself. Oh, there's a few there. And if you don't have a Bible, please uh, take one from us. We'd love you to have a Bible. I'm, I'm quite excited about this morning. I, I'm excited every Sunday morning, just to clarify. But as I was uh, preparing, I, I just had the words, and I j- just started typing, the word awakening. The word awakening. And aw- an awakening is an act or moment of suddenly becoming aware of something. And I, I just feel, as we unpack these few verses, that there's going to be a, a fresh revelation and reminder, perhaps, that is going to mean a number of us leaving here uh, this morning changed. I don't know what that means, but we'll we'll see. We'll see what God wants to do. So uh, we're at Titus 3, 9 to 14, and it'll be up on the screen behind me as well. And on the Bibles, it is page 902. Why don't we pray before we start reading? God, you spoke the world into existence. You speak new life to your children, and we pray that you'll do that just now as we uh, read your word. We pray new life over every single one of us. We pray that uh, what you say is landed in good soil with soft hearts and ears that are ready to hear. We pray it will be a time of building us up, of planting seeds of your kingdom and uprooting any weeds which need to be uprooted. Will you challenge us this morning? Will you excite us? Will you call out what needs to be called out? Will you transform us, Jesus? In your name, amen. Amen. So let's read from verse 9. But avoid foolish controversies and genealogies and arguments and quarrels about the law, because these are unprofitable and useless. Warn a divisive person once and then warn them a second time. After that, have nothing to do with them. You may be sure that such people are warped and sinful. They are self-condemned. As soon as I send Artemis or Tychius, we'll say Tychius, to you, do your best to come to me at Nicopolis. Thank you. I practiced this loads, I promise. Nicopolis. Because I've decided to winter there. Do everything you can to help Zenos the lawyer and Apollos on their way and see that they have everything that they need. Our people must learn to devote themselves to doing what is good in order to provide for urgent needs and not live unproductive lives. Everyone with me sends you greetings. Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. Amen. We made it through the the verses. We muted applause there as well. 
Uh, so these are the final remarks to Titus from Paul. He is asking him to join him, and the two guys mentioned, we're going to call them Arte and Tiki. That's what we're going to call them. They're to, one of them are going to take over. They're going to take over from Titus. And there's instructions for two, uh, two people called Zenos and Apollos. And then there's a closing phrase. And it's the closing phrase I want to look at this morning. In verse 14, our people must learn to devote themselves to doing what is good in order to provide for urgent needs, and this is it, and not live unproductive lives. And not live unproductive lives. It's been really living with me this week, that, that line. And as I look at my journey and my story and all that God has done and, and put in me to see his kingdom furthered and how easy it can be to lose track, to not live unproductive lives. Now, I've been trying since uh, we moved here, we've been here just over two years to tr- try and find a hobby. I've been trying to find a hobby to help me be productive. And I'm sure most of us have hobbies and interests. We have things that we enjoy doing that are, that are good for us. And I'm sure they complement and add productivity to our weeks. But uh, I managed on my, my search to find some absolutely ridiculous hobbies. And these are some of the weirdest hobbies from across the world. Let me share some of them with you. Extreme ironing. It is a thing. <laughs> little tip for ironing. If you're ever wearing a jumper and a shirt, just iron the collar, and then you're fine. And never take the jumper off. I do that sometimes. Extreme ironing. This is, this is a bit of a gross one. Naval fluff collecting. That is a thing. That, I just heard someone say, that is disgusting. I'm never coming back here. <laughs> Mooing. So pretending to be a cow, there's competitions and farms across America where they have, you gather together with, I think it's mostly kids, I read about it, and you have like mooing competitions. And then there's one called Hikaru Dorodango, which is a very cool word. And you get a ball of mud, you draw the moisture out of it while coating it with finer and finer layers of soil, after which you start to work the dirt by polishing it by hand into a sphere. Now, I'm sorry if you do any of these with us this morning, but uh, it's just a silly little example to show how ingrained and invested we can get in stuff that ultimately robs our productive lives. John 10, 10 says, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy, including how much of an impact we have for Jesus. It doesn't need to be Hikaru. Doro, gango, or extreme ironing. It doesn't even need to be a hobby. It's a very real ploy from the enemy to steal, to destroy. Now, lots of people have said that I would make a good runner because I've got the the right physique. And I was like, yeah, maybe I would. I'm not going to (laughs) try. I've been out maybe once or twice. And I think I would. I like the idea of it, but it's it's just getting started, isn't it? So uh, if any of well, there's a few runners here, maybe you can inspire me uh, during the tea and coffee. I play a bit of squash as well. I enjoy squash. I enjoy golf. But really, my hobby is photography. I love photography. I like at any point catching an opportunity to take a really good photo. Seeing beauty in the day-to-day that makes me stop, take notice, and make a memory. And I think as I've been reflecting on uh, productivity... That productivity for the kingdom follows a very similar path to the hobby of photography. 
to be who we're called to be, to be people of love and people of hope that make a difference, we must be able to see God's beauty and God's purposes in the day-to-day that makes us stop, take notice, and act. Photography brings me closer to God, it brings me closer to His heart, and it allows me to stop whatever I'm doing and see Him in every day. Paul says, not live unproductive lives. If the Holy Spirit in you, go, be productive, be producers, not stagnant, grow, expand, increase, make dents, change situations, be carriers, pioneers, creatives, produce new things, change atmospheres, shift perspectives. There's a couple of things in this passage that uh, I want to unpack together, which I think direct us to being a more productive people for God. So firstly, uh, uh, the first thing I want to look at is allow God in for regular health checks. I am a big fan of coffee. Allow a regular health checkup. I'm a big fan of coffee, but I've had to go on a bit of a journey with coffee. I'm 35 years old, and I'm just reflecting a bit. I don't know if it's a midlife crisis at 35, but I'm just reflecting a bit on what am I doing that isn't healthy, and I I was drinking far too much coffee. So I took six weeks off coffee, and uh, it was great, and I'm now back to maybe one or two a day, but it all stems from about six years ago, I was in Starbucks. I was meeting someone for coffee, and I had no breakfast. And I had like a double shot latte thing. And uh, I went back to the office and I ended up having a caffeine induced panic attack. So I was in the middle of my office, in the office, and I was just freaking out. And I went into the other office where the other guys were, and I was like, guys, you have to pray for me. Something, I'm I'm not feeling right. So they they sat me down. Of course, Thomas grabbed a chair, prayed for me. And then they said, what happened? They says, I had a really strong coffee. And they're like (laughs) trying to pray for me, laughing halfway through it. And I ended up having to go home the rest of the day and uh, sleep it off. Why am I telling you that? But I ended up after that, I was like, I'm going to go to the doctors. I'm going to go and see if everything's okay. Check my heart. Hook me up to all these machines and wires and everything was okay, thankfully. But we've got to keep healthy spiritually and put checks in place. Just like a dentist, every six months, check up, checks if there's decay. We have to do the same with our hearts. Everything flows from our hearts. How we think, how we act, how we decide, how we dream, how we walk, how we speak, it all starts here. If we love Jesus, if we trust Jesus, if we belong to Jesus, we must not get in the way of regular heart checkups. Everything happens from here, the good and the bad. It starts here. Paul speaks in verse 9, but avoid foolish controversies and genealogies and arguments and quarrels about the law because they are unprofitable and useless. Avoid foolish debates senseless interactions, encounters and moments that don't bring any kind of good. Paul's saying avoid them. That must stem from the heart, how we approach, how we approach people. The need to be right, perhaps. The need to be better. The need to be heard. The need to be validated. The need to be somebody. The need to be better. The need to be louder. The need to be known as the best. It all stems from the heart and our motives. 
Paul's saying they are harmful and useless. They don't build up. They don't add value. They don't advance the kingdom. We have to call out the golden people. Bring people closer to Jesus. Keep ourselves humble and weak before Him. And Paul is saying this in his context in this letter because there's a mosaic law which people are, are gripping hold to and Jewish traditions being at the forefront of these controversies and debates and conversations. But for us, it should be the same to keep a, a lookout, the matters of the heart. So do we keep our hearts healthy, walking with Jesus? And uh, I found a number of questions really helpful and a good indicator and a great tool for monthly or weekly reflections in our time with God. And we used this a couple of years ago, and uh, I came across it this week. I used it regularly for a season, and they're just really good questions. So get ready. Are we ready? I feel a corporate prayer response moment. We're all going to be like, oh, here's the questions. And if anybody wants these, we can print them out. Is everything okay in your heart? Actually, I'm just going to pray first before we do. Lord, Holy Spirit, we pray that you uh, will just speak into our hearts right now, that we actually choose to open up our hearts to you right now, Lord. We want to draw closer to your intentions and your plans for our lives. So uh, with these questions, Father God, will you speak to us? In Jesus' name, amen. Is everything okay in your heart? Are you mad at anybody? Are you waiting around for someone to come to you and make things right? Have you had any extended imaginary conversations with anybody lately? Do things come out of your mouth lately that you wish you could take back and wonder where did that come from? Have you secretly celebrated someone's failure in the last several, several, last several days? Have you got any secrets eating at you? Anything going on that you hope no one discovers? Is there a question you hope no one will ask you? Have you lied recently to someone you love? Wow. Matters of the heart. And guilt has no place here. We want this to be a place of freedom and new beginnings. And hope is to fall in this place and in our hearts this morning. So let's bring him our hearts this morning for healing to be done, for restoring to be done. Let's get back to falling in love with Jesus again. So we allow a, a regular health checkup. Secondly, we become more aware of who God has placed in our paths and how to bless them. Who has God placed in our paths? I love this letter's closing remarks because we read about Zenos and Apollos. And they were the folk who had traveled with the letter physically to give it to Titus. And Paul writes to Titus with all these instructions that we've read in the previous chapters to the church around doctrine, around a duty, about what to do. And he says to them, you're coming with me, Titus, and I'm going to bring, uh, you're coming with me to that place that I couldn't pronounce, and I'm going to bring two other guys that are going to uh, replace you. But before all that, just bless the socks of Zenos and Apollos. In the message version, 
the, the verse says, give, them a hearty, give him a hearty send-off. Take good care of him. Give him a hearty send-off. I love that. Take good care of him. Titus takes note, uh, takes note of who God has placed in your path and love. And, well, that doesn't make sense, does it? How do we send people on? How do we send people on? The people that are placed before us, that are in our path, how do we bless them? Are they better having spent time with us? Or are they the same? Are they desperate to leave? Oh, is that the time? Okay, <laughs> better get going, can't, can't stop. Are we truly living in community with the people that God has around us? To be a productive people, we must grow an awareness of the situations and people groups and individuals that God puts in our paths. It's not a mistake. It's very deliberate. And the problem is, and actually the epidemic really in our generation and our culture is that we speed on far too fast to realize actually who's in front of us. We're a bit like Formula One cars. And we have these moments where Sundays or small groups are our pit stops. When in fact, we're speeding so fast when we come out the door at half 12 that actually we get to the other week and we're like, oh, such a quick week, wasn't it? And actually we're missing out on the people that God's put in our paths. The people that Jesus wants us to walk alongside on our track and have meaningful moments with. And I feel the word in this point is we must slow down, church. We must slow down. I feel that as a word in season. We must slow down. And I'm deeply challenged about this personally because I know the individuals. I know the individuals that are in my mind's eye that I'm seeing again and again and again that Jesus is ushering in to, to be part and to, to interact and to have encounters and to encourage and to love. We speak about it, we pray about it, we sing about it. The Lord's calling us, slow down, take notice of who I put in your path. A coffee, a conversation, an invite, a beer, an hour, a phone call, eye contact, a smile. <laughs> Some of us are going too hard, too fast and missing out. And we relate productivity to pace, how fast things are going and not priorities. And God is saying, I want you to look at the pace of things and look for me in the day-to-day I've been reading a, a great book called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry by a man called John Mark Comer. And it's a really good book. And I believe it's a book for our times, actually. It's a, it's a book that everybody needs to read. And there's some practices in chapter two or ch chapter three about unhurrying your life. And uh, he lists some stuff, real practical stuff uh, to unhurry your life. And here's some of the stuff that he says. Drive the speed limit. Few people are crying already, Lord, forgive me. Get in the slow lane. Go to the longest queue. <laughs> Show up 10 minutes early for an appointment, but don't bring your phone. Parent your phone. So what he means by that is put it to bed, tuck it in, maybe get a wee blanket. I'm sure on Amazon you get a blanket. Then wake it up. Don't let it wake you up. Keep your phone off until you've spent some time with God in the morning. 
as I've been reading a couple of those chapters, it's, it's totally changed my life. It's totally changed my life. And I've adopted some. And actually what I've found is that I've had more conversations. I've had more eye contact. <laughs> I've had more smiles. And there's ultimately been more joy in how I've went about my week. There's been more opportunity of taking my time to see who, who's God placed alongside me on the path. More opportunities to be joyful and to, to discover the joy of faith, to discover what joy means. We are, uh, we're in the middle of Advent just now, and I said last week about the little Advent videos that the Bible Project are doing, and we looked at peace last week, and uh, I had a wee look at joy uh, last night on the uh, YouTube, so if you just search Bible Project, we'll put it up on social media. But joy is a word called chara, and to rediscover joy, I feel that we were called to rediscover joy, and actually we're robbed in the rushing of real joy. And uh, joy is an attitude adopted and it's not based on our present struggles, but our future inheritance. To have joy in the wilderness, we see in God's Word that uh, with the Israelites, when they heard about Moses, they speak about joy. Even though they still had to continue with their slave duties, they speak about the joy that they had. The joy of faith. Paul speaks about it when he's in prison in Philippians. The joy of faith. Acknowledge the situation. It's not dismissing, actually, the tough stuff and the battles that we have to face, but it's acknowledging that, but being joyful in that. Discover the joy of faith. You can always, almost imagine, can't you, when Titus receives this letter, I've got to change this, I've got to speak to them, or how am I going to do this? Paul's saying, go and instruct them and go and think about this. Okay, I'm going to make a plan for that. We'll have a vision night for that. I'll gather some people for that. But first, let's see who's in your path. That's where you begin. Zenus, Apollos. Okay, yes, before all that, they're in front of us. Guys, we want to love you. We want to bless you. Be blessed. I want to ask who's in front of us. We become aware and then we go and bless them. We go and make sure that we are hearty in our approach and we take the best care we can of them. And in that moment, that interaction is the most important thing in our day. What's in our hands? What's in our hands? And then finally, we adopt a consistent posture of learning and receiving. So allow a regular health checkup. Who has God placed in our paths? And adopt a posture of learning. I was going to preach from verse 14, so just look at the whole verse. Uh, there's so much in that couple of verses, you could probably do two or three preaches. But the first words of verse 14 are, people must learn. Paul pretty much ends that uh, letter apart from the, the blessing bit at the end, he says, our people must learn. We've got to learn this stuff. And if we're not there, we have to start learning. Or if we've stopped, we have to relearn it. If we've lost track or gave up, we have to adopt the posture of learning. And we have to go on this journey together with open hands and open hearts. And understand that as we gather here every Sunday, as we journey and as we uh, want to know Jesus more and we want other people to know Jesus that we haven't got at all sussed. But we want, to, we want Inverness to know the hope that we have. 
And that involves us actually being lifelong learners. Never to think that as we come here or as we journey life that we've got it sorted, we've got it cracked. Oh, I've heard this before. I know what all this is about. I know what's going to happen now. We don't think that Jesus is following, following Jesus is like that. Yet perhaps some of us here this morning in our walks are living in exactly that place. And God is calling us to redeem time, to actually reclaim and to rediscover who he is and to spend more time with him. And I, I believe that the Lord wants to just encourage us to humble ourselves and to be lifelong learners again. And when you're tired and you're feeling that it's the same old that God wants to inject just a fresh, just fresh freshness into your walk and a new season that he wants an awakening, like I said at the beginning, that he wants an awakening, that he hasn't forgotten about you. just wondering what to do now. There was another, just as we come in to land, there was another uh, thing on this point. And I felt that God gave me a word. And it's a a little phrase that I've heard before. It says, if you're not dead, God's not done. You know, some of us sitting here this morning maybe don't want to receive and learn because perhaps we're sitting here and we're a little bit angry. We're a little bit angry over the, the circumstance we're in or the stage of life that we're, we're in, or what we're facing, the valleys being faced, or the valleys that we're walking right now. And God is saying that He has a plan for, for you to be a productive people. But it must be paired with a posture of learning and a posture of receiving. And, and God just wants to whisper this morning, don't do it alone. Don't do it alone. Take that wall down. God's saying, I've given you the dream, make sure you walk and act on it, but have a framework of support and wisdom around it. And worship, worship with all your heart. Why don't we stand?